Amen. You may be seated. This time I'm going to dismiss our children downstairs as well. How's everybody doing today? Doing well? Glad to hear. Thanksgiving. Black Friday. And of course, tomorrow, guys. Oh, wait, did I forget Small Business Saturday? Small Business Saturday. And then tomorrow's what? Cyber Monday. All this eating, all this buying, all this saving, all this having. I think it all reveals that we live in a culture that has an endless crave for more. More. I need more. We never seem to have enough. And if we really want to get deep for a moment, we never seem to be enough. More is needed. Here's a tough question for our culture that struggles with satisfaction. When is enough enough? When is enough enough? Making it more personal for you today. What will it take for you to be satisfied? I mean, for real. Full, at peace and at rest in the deepest part of who you are. What will it take for you to be satisfied? What more is needed for you? Or maybe what less is needed for you? What must be gained for you to be satisfied? What is missing in your life? Imagine if there was a way to be truly, fully, and eternally satisfied. Imagine if there was a way that you could feel content, experience contentment, have contentment that has nothing to do with your circumstances. Today, an imprisoned man is going to let us in on a little secret. He is going to tell us a secret that he has learned through his life. It's my hope that as he shares this secret with us, that each one of us will come to know, trust, and grow in joyful satisfaction, true contentment, to be able to conclude enough. Paul Daly is going to come and read for us Philippians chapter 4, 10 through 13. So let's welcome him as he comes and reads our scripture passage this morning. This is the word of the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly 
that now at length you have received your concern, revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I, now that I'm speaking, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. It is your portion for us today, your provision of truth and grace. May your spirit enable us to see and hear and understand and apply these words to our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have heard me reference one or two times before a book that I've come to really enjoy as one I go to here and there, not necessarily one that I've plowed through, but just here and there. Some of the chapters are just super encouraging to me. They come from a book called Wise Counsel. It's an interaction between Pastor John Newton and also Pastor John Ryland. These are two 19th century pastors, one much older than the other, where uh, you, you read these letters back and forth that they share with one another. Uh, in many ways, John Newton mentoring John Ryland through the early stages of, of ministry and also family. And it's, it's great to see the content, right? You get wisdom from John Newton, which I think is always helpful to, to hear an older, seasoned, gracious uh, person in your life just share with you uh, biblical, godly wisdom. You get that. You get some, some principles, some nuggets of truth. But beyond that, it's also interesting to just simply have kind of a, a, a first-hand look at the way in which these two relate to one another. You get a sense that even though they are not together, like distance uh, separates them, that they communicate with one another with affection. They love each other. They care deeply about one another's needs and concerns. And as you read the letters, you, you just can't miss it. It's sweet. It's wonderful. It's beautiful. And it kind of draws you in. Again, we see the way Paul and the Philippian church uh, are relating to one another. And you see this relationship that is super sweet and meaningful, right? You, you see this fellowship that they share. He says, verse 10, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Right? The Philippian church had a genuine concern for Paul, his situation, and who he was as an apostle and a man. Right? This concern that they had uh, motivated them to sacrifice, to give. Right? And so he's recognizing that as he's in prison awaiting trial that he has needs. And the Philippians care deeply about those needs. Remember, they sent Epaphroditus with a gift. right? They sent him, and Epaphroditus risked his life in getting this gift and support to Paul. This relationship was meaningful. And I think in many ways it underscores the unique covenant bond that we have in the body of Christ. 
And so once again, Paul is writing in a way to point that out to us, to draw us in, to draw us in, to have us consider each other in the church, to consider one another as partners in gospel ministry, and to seek the Spirit and grow in an affection and love for one another. That ministry and life in relationship with Jesus is a community project, that we are bound together in the new covenant and in relationship and fellowship with Christ Jesus. We see once again that this is what has taken place between Paul and the Philippian church, and this kind of love gives Paul joy. Right When people we know and relate to in Christ care about us, it's a cause for joy. When they see our need and they do something sacrificial to meet that need, it's a cause for joy. A joy in the Lord. That once again, it reminds us that the greatest gifts that we have in this life are people. And there is a unique grace, a unique gift that we have in the body of Christ. We know Jesus. We serve Jesus in this world. And so I want to continue to encourage you that some of the most wonderful graces and gifts are sitting right here in this room that God has provided to you. Right? Many of you know this. You're, you're in small groups together. You're in accountability groups together. You're worshiping together. You're interacting and engaging each other's lives. You're meeting each other's needs. And that's a cause of great joy for you. So we see again that that's what's taking place. Paul is rejoicing in the Lord for the gift of community, the gift of covenant relationship in the church, the gift of these Philippians who love him and are caring for him. He was in need, and they did something about it, right? But then he seems to take a sudden shift in the passage, doesn't he? He goes on to say, not that I'm speaking of being in need. And you kind of scratch your head a little bit. Which is it, Paul? Right? Are you in need? You need support? You need help? You need food? You need friendship? You need someone to be by your side? Which is it? We sent the money. Are you telling me you don't need it? He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need. He's engaging in what seems to be a little bit of confusing double talk. Right? One minute, he's overcome with joy because these people have stepped up and cared for his need. And in the next minute, he's saying, listen, not that I'm talking about being in need. It's a little confusing. What's going on? What's happening here? Well, I think he's speaking in reference to two realities. And he wants to highlight something for us. He wants to underscore something for us. He's not trying to minimize their gift or his temporal need. He's trying to underscore and highlight the fact that at the end of the day, in an ultimate sense, he's saying, I'm needless. I'm not in a place of need, ultimately. He says, 
I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I'm not speaking from need. Why am I saying this? Because I've learned something in life. I've come to know and understand something over time. In all the years I've been alive, I've learned something. I've learned that in whatever situation I am, to be content. What does he mean by that word? To be content. He says, I'm in a state of sufficiency. He says, I'm satisfied. He says, I have all that I need. For me to have joy, for me to be satisfied, nothing more, nothing less is needed. That's what he's saying. Imagine such a statement. Especially from a man who's locked up behind bars. His circumstance, his situation from a human perspective stinks. He's in an awful place. He's in deep need. He would think, we would think, for me to be happy, for me to be satisfied, something's got to change about my life. Maybe you're in that place today. Something's got to change. Something needs to be added. Something needs to be subtracted. I don't have enough. My life is not sufficient. I'm not satisfied. I'm in a deep sense of need. For me to be happy, for me to be satisfied, I need a lot more. Can you say what Paul's saying today? Be honest with yourself. In your inner thoughts, as you wrestle, the turmoil that so easily happens inside, as you deal with your own insufficiency, as you deal with circumstances in life, are you able to say that you're sufficient? Are you able to say that you're satisfied, that you have all that you need? Are you to say with the psalmist, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want? Adding to the shock of this is what he says. He says that such contentment has absolutely nothing to do with his circumstances. Nothing to do with it. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. He says, verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. He's saying, I know how to be broke. And I know how to have full pockets. I know how to have crumbs. And I know how to eat a full buffet. I know what it's like to have and to have not. He says, I, I'm sorry, he says, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Again, one would logically think that satisfaction and joy is linked to circumstances. That would be our assumption, right? If circumstances are good, 
We are satisfied. We're content. We get a promotion at work, and that raise that comes with it. Somebody say amen. (laughs) I was trying to pull a little something out. You study hard. You put the work in. You get an A on your latest exam. I'm satisfied. You just booked that 10-day Caribbean cruise. Someone say amen. Here's one for you. Your kids have obeyed you for 20 minutes. You're like, my life is good. I need nothing more. My kids, they talk to me. They wanted to watch a movie with me. These are, this is my life. Circumstances are good, you feel satisfied. If circumstances are tough, you feel the opposite. Unsatisfied, right? You, your coworker got the job and you were overlooked again. You tried to sell the deal. And they went with someone else. You put an event on and no one showed. You went to the doctor and you were diagnosed with a long-term illness. Someone close to you dies and you live with a loss. In that moment, it's easy To assume that something's got to change to be satisfied. Something needs to change on the outside in order to experience what every human soul craves, satisfaction. Something's got to change. My circumstances got to get better. and Then I'll be satisfied. Then I'll be content. But that's not what Paul says at all. He says, I've learned in whatever situation I am, in every and any circumstance, I've learned the secret. I'm not in a place of need. Can you imagine such a statement? But so far, he hasn't necessarily said something that's uniquely Christian. People of this day would have been influenced by Stoicism. The Stoic believed that human beings had no real control over their external circumstances. Got no control over those things. Those were subject to the whims of fate. The only place they could have any control was over their personal attitudes, right? You've heard that. You can't control what happens to you, just how you respond to it, right? We can't control what happens to us, but we can control how we feel about it. Thus, Stoics trained themselves to achieve an inner sense of peace that would leave them unbothered no matter what happened to them. The Stoic sought after this, sought to attain this. It's not necessarily Christian yet. How about Buddhists, right? Desires evil. Suppress desire. And do all you can to detach yourself from desire 
And then you'll be at peace. Then you'll be satisfied. If you strip yourself of desires, you'll find yourself content. I don't need anything. This idea of self-sufficiency, right? To look within is not just for the Stoic or the Buddhist, but also very much characteristic of 21st century secular thinking. It has made its way into our children's books. One book by Grace Byers, I Am Enough. I listened to this book in a read-aloud on YouTube. And this is what the educator says before she reads the book, I Am Enough. She says, I want all the little boys and girls to know that they are enough. Everything you need to know for life is already inside you. You just need to find it, learn it, and then use it. That's what's being taught in our schools. I am enough. You are enough. You are sufficient in and of yourself. You don't need anything outside of you to be satisfied and content. It's all inside you. You are self-sufficient. That's the message of the 21st century secularist. But Paul's not a Stoic, amen? Paul's not a Buddhist. Paul's not a 21st century secularist. No, his worldview rejects any notion that sufficiency and satisfaction is found inside of us. He has learned something that we must all learn. And it must be our confession. We are not enough. Amen? The secret to being content in any circumstance is not within you. It is outside of you. You must receive it. And the wonderful news of the gospel is that God has given him. And his name is Jesus. While we are not enough, Paul wants us to understand that Christ is enough. I want you to hear that today. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. Well, we are not enough. Christ is enough. Paul tells us the secret. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I'm going to say it again. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. That's the secret, friend. I can do all things through Him. Now, we've heard this before. I believe Stephen Curry has it on his sneakers. And that brother can hit a lot of three-pointers. And okay, so you think to yourself, hey, it's game time, baby. I can hit 12 threes today. I can hit all threes through him who gives me strength. Now, I'm not denying the strength of Jesus to help Steph Curry to make three-pointers. I'm not saying that. But most people in the athletic world always claim that to say, I can do something. God's going to help me win. One of my favorite ones was when Kurt Warner uh, used that in, when the Steelers beat him in the Super Bowl. I was like, I hope he can help you lose. <laughs> anyway, the Steelers did beat him. Here's the point. It's misquoted. It's misused. 
It's misunderstood. It's taken out of context. It's been justification for people to do stupid stuff and to justify sin in their life and to deny the wisdom of God. I can do anything I want through him who strengthens me. That's not what this verse is saying. I can get that job. I can do all. It's in some ways, it has been used in a way to distort the gospel, oftentimes been used in the prosperity movement to get you whatever you want, to make you feel better about your life. That's not what this is saying. Paul has learned in his life through the ups and downs, through the difficulties, through the years, decades of pursuing Jesus, right? This has been learned. This has been forged in his life. And I wonder if, man, I'm not content. In some ways, I want to encourage you, in some ways, be patient. Continue to pursue Jesus, okay? It's going to be learned. God's going to teach it to you. That's what life is all about, him teaching you something that you must know in and through your circumstances, that are matter, no, no matter how good they are, temporally, it's not enough. No matter how bad they are, it's not enough to bring you down. But there is a sufficiency that is found in Christ regardless of our circumstance. That's what Paul's saying. He's telling us the secret of Christian contentment, and his name is Jesus. He's the all-sufficient one. In knowing and trusting in the sufficiency of Jesus Christ is the secret of being content in all circumstances. So now you know the secret. How do I find the source of what satisfies my soul? What do I need outside of myself to be satisfied, to be content, for enough to be enough? You need Christ. Nothing else will suffice. You can turn to this or that. All the world will offer you, and it will always not be enough. No matter what 21st century American prosperity offers you, no matter what the world places before you for pleasure, for release, whatever that is, it's all going to let you down and disappoint. It will always leave you empty. But Christ will fill your soul. It is Christ alone that we find our sufficiency. He is sufficient. Trust in His person for everything, in everything. Know that He is enough. And when you know that and trust in it, hear the promise of strength. God does not promise that he will immediately remove you from your difficult circumstances, but he does promise that as you trust in Christ, he will give you the strength to endure with joy. So trust in Christ. Hear the testimony of Paul. It's his personal testimony from his life. I've learned this. I want you to know. 
I came to know Jesus when I was on the road to Damascus. He showed up personally and powerfully in my life, and he showed himself to be Lord of all in the most beautiful fashion. I came to see that he was the all-sufficient one. But man, there was so much more for me to learn through my life, through the difficulty, through the thorn in the flesh. Remember that passage? I prayed three times. Take it from me. And then what was his conclusion as he heard from the Lord? The Lord said this, my grace is sufficient. The grace of Christ is sufficient for you to endure all things. Christ is enough. If you do not have him, no wonder you're empty in your soul. No wonder you're not satisfied. Trust him. See him. Embrace him. Run into his all-sufficient arms. He will give you the contentment and satisfaction and joy that you long for. He will give you himself. What kind of a God gives you himself? A good God. A gracious God. Not only do we trust in his person, but we're con- the contented person trusts in his plan. There's a connection here. There's a connection to trusting in God's providence. Circumstances are not by chance. Whatever you're dealing with today, it's not chance. It's providence. God is providentially, powerfully, sovereignly at work in your life, using every single situation to conform you to the image of His Son and bring about His good priorities for you. Do you believe that today? The person can endure suffering and sorrow and difficulty when they know that God's in control. That God's at work in them. That God is present with me, strengthening me in the trial itself, the difficulty itself. Our contentment in any circumstance will be directly related to our ability to trust in God's providential control over all human affairs. Do you believe that? Do you truly believe that God is powerful and that he's active, and he is working out his purposes in all the things that you face every single day. If you believe that, then you can live and enjoy the sufficiency of Christ Jesus, no matter what. Jeremiah Burroughs wrote a wonderful book called The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. It's literally public domain. You should just download it. It's a PDF. Okay? You should read it. All right? I read 70% of it in like two hours. Okay? I didn't finish it. It's classic Maisie. But this week I picked it up. I plowed through it. And I highlighted a lot. I commend it to you. Commend it to you. There was 48 quotes I wanted to put in. You'll be proud of me. I did not do that. I have one. 
Okay? But it does underscore contentment being connected to us submitting to the providence of God. He says this, Christian contentment is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. What he's saying is, you will never be content if you are not freely submitting, joyfully delighting in God's providence in your life. If you don't see the purpose behind every circumstance, good and bad, you will never be satisfied. You will never be able to live content through any and all circumstances. So be reminded today of Romans 8.28. In the, one of the greatest chapters of the Bible, be reminded, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. All things, all things work together for the good. God's at work in every circumstance in your life. No matter how difficult it is, you can rest and you can take joy. That doesn't mean you're doing cartwheels down the street when something difficult happens, but there's this inner sense of joy, inner uh, blessedness, that sweet, gracious frame of spirit, that gentleness in your soul, that peace of mind that comes because you know that God is at work in that circumstance. Don't forget what he goes on to say at the end of the chapter. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? Will anything separate us from the love of Christ? Will any circumstance separate us from the love of Jesus, brother and sister? No matter what we face, we can Live content. Know that all things are enough and sufficient because Jesus is with us. He's for us. He's at work in us. And He loves us. Shall it separate us? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels or rulers, nor things present or things to come, nor powers, nor height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the same man. He's in prison. He's not separated from the love of Christ. Not that I'm speaking of being in need. I'm good. I'm sufficient. I have all that I need. I don't need anything more. I don't need anything less. Christ is enough. Do you know that today? Burroughs goes on to say this, and maybe this is a helpful application for you to pray about and consider. He says, when you come to know Jesus, you trust in his providence, you submit to his will, there's an adjustment that happens to your desires. You know that when you come to know Jesus, you have new desires? They're desires that are consistent 
with God's desires for you. You want what God wants. That's what the Spirit does. He gives you a new affection. To be content and satisfied, your circumstances don't change. Your desires do. And oftentimes we think that for us to be satisfied and content, we need to add something to our life. But he's saying the, the way to contentment is not through addition, but through subtraction. Right? To seek the Lord wisdom and will to say, conform my desires to yours. Not my will be done, but yours be done. And then you come to realize that the will of God is your best. Our desires match up with the will of God in every situation. And therefore, with Paul, we can conclude, I have learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. And we can say with Paul, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Consider the desires of your heart. Are they consistent with the will of God? If not, subtract them. Subtract them. Adjust them. Adjust them. Christ is enough. Amen? I would say one of the most powerful examples of such contentment is the life of Joni Erickson Tata. It's a long time ago. As a teenager, she was an avid swimmer. And she was swimming in the Chesapeake, and she misjudged the depth of the water before she took a dive. At the age of 17, she hit the bottom, and it irreversibly damaged part of her uh, spine. She immediately became paralyzed from the neck down. And for the last 56 years, she has lived as a quadriplegic. Many of you may know her, her ministry, uh, Joni and Friends. Her experience has become quite an encouragement to Christians and even those who do not trust Christ, what it is to suffer with such a condition for such a long time and still have hope and joy, and satisfaction in life. She knows Christ. She trusts in Him. And this is what she prays often, according to her website. She prays, Oh God, I have no strength for this day. I can't do quadriplegia anymore. But I can do all things through you as you give me strength. So please, Jesus, press me to your side. Give me your grace. Be large in my life today. Maybe her words and her prayer connects with you today. Lord, 
I can't do this today. I'm weak. I'm hurting. I'm struggling. I feel empty. But I can do all things through you as you give me strength. Jesus, press me to your side. Give me your grace. Is that your prayer today? When is enough enough? When your circumstances are ideal? When you have a little more? When all goes well at work? When your bank accounts are full? When you have what seems to be enough approval? No. That never suffices. I think that well-known song from The Greatest Showman illustrates it, right? All the shine of a thousand spotlights, all the stars we steal from the night sky will never be enough. Towers of gold are still too little. These hands could hold the world, but it'll never be enough. Never be enough. When is enough enough, friend? When you come to know and trust in Jesus Christ. When you continually rely on His sufficiency, regardless of your circumstance. And when you submit to His plan, His good plan in your life. Whom have I in heaven but you? There's nothing on earth I desire beside you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Psalm 73. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Christ is enough. Christ is enough. Amen? Let's pray.